Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Lord, come and speak to our hearts, we pray, through your word, in Christ's name, amen. I recently, it would be no surprise to most of you, entered into a theological discussion I did not expect to have ever ever, ever. And it's perhaps a theological discussion that is normative in Dallas, but it caught me off guard. And it was, uh, I was at coffee with a new member to, not this church, but another church. This is a little dated, but I think it's still relevant. And um, the man across from me was well-educated. He had multiple, multiple degrees, two of them Ivy League. And he said to me, how many shoes are enough? I said, what? Well, how many pairs of shoes are too many? I said, why do you ask me? He says, well, from a scriptural point of view, how many shoes are too many to own? I said, do you have a lot of shoes? He says, no, and that's the point my wife does. (laughs) What is the biblical basis of how many shoes are the right number of shoes to wear? And I said, I don't know, Um, but we talked and he Googled shoe references in the Old Testament and the New Testament and discovered that there are 119 references to taking off your shoes in the scriptures. So we're on shaky ground. You can't really make a case of how, you know, but people are told often to take off your shoes. Joshua, after the death of Moses, is uh, walking and he sees an angel of the Lord and says, are you for me or the other guys? He says, neither. 
I'm for the Lord, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And here we are at table and in the story in John 13 and Jesus has them take their shoes off for a different purpose, but still it's a holy moment. And then we have later on in the Psalms where it says, blessed, not are the feet, blessed are the shoes who bring good news. It's interesting, isn't it? So you've got your holy shoes, your good news shoes. We're building a wardrobe out. How many, uh, you know, I, I'd love to ask all of you, pardon me, I'd love to ask all y'all how many shoes you have. Shoes, feet. In our day, they are different than in Jesus' day, but there's something quite powerful, isn't it, about what we put on our shoes. Now, can shoes change your life? Maybe. I'm, I'm agnostic, I will admit, in that front, that a good pair of shoes will bring changes to your life. I've just yet to see it applied to my life. Um, but I do know that feeling secure and at ease is powerful. And so what is Jesus doing here at the table when he goes to wash their feet? How many shoes are too many? I don't know. I think I said the person away saying, I think you just got to pray with it and go. They may have settled on 119 between them, which, thank goodness in Dallas, there are big closets, right? But uh, what is Jesus doing? Well, he's doing a couple of things. And let me just draw a couple of uh, points, and then we'll talk about what we're about to do to each other. So the crucifixion is imminent. His death is about to happen. He knows it. His disciples don't know it, but Jesus washes their feet really as a proof to them that he loves them. Most people's feet are ticklish. Mine are not, um, but I'm under, on good account that it is, so it's kind of an uncomfortable thing to do. Back then, it was dirty. It was dirty. It was like um, our youngest son, Toby, who's four, has no concept of the need to wear shoes or socks and is outside in the backyard in the sand and his feet are disgusting. Well, feet back then were disgusting. Feet smell. And they wore sandals, open-toed sandals, not sandals with socks like we sometimes see in the Bible Belt, but just, you know, <laughs> sandals. And what Jesus is giving them an example of is an example of humility. So this is a proof of love, and love looks like humility. And none of that, it's a love that looks like servanthood. And that's what the washing of the feet is about. It's a sense of helping them bridge the idea that he was going to wash away their sins through his death. It's striking especially when you consider that was someone at the table who was going to betray him. Be responsible for his death. And I think, you know, for me, being humble, being servant-hearted, being loving to people I like is easy. But what with the difficult people? What are the people who show us open animosity? Oh, it starts to get a bit more difficult, doesn't it? What would it look like to love them, to be humble towards them, to be servant-hearted towards them, 
and to help them receive forgiveness for what they've done wrong. So this act is pretty remarkable. It is quite remarkable, isn't it? Uh, as Washington's people's feet was considered back then to be a task that only non-Jews could do because it was so demeaning that you couldn't ask a Jewish slave to do it. Such was the association with dirt and filth. And you know, the culture back then is people walked long distances on dusty roads and sandals. And the th what's so strange here is that normally you'd come into a house and it would happen at the very beginning. It would not come after the meal. And so John does it different than the other three. John, the folk, in, in, in the other three Gospels, it's about the Last Supper, the bread and the wine. And it's after the supper, it's after he's giving us Holy Communion that he gets up to serve. So think about this with me for a moment. His promise in Emmaus that we talk about a lot here is that at, he will always meet us at the table. And that at the table, we will receive food for the road, nourishment for our souls and our bodies to last us the next week until we come back. I know it's different now. Some, you know, your average attendance in America for faithful parishioners is 1.9 Sundays. So I guess the food lasts longer now, but never mind. That is a joke. There may be others. But this is food for the road. And in John's narrative, it was after... He'd done it, that he then washed their feet. So we are to receive from Jesus so that our lives as we are sent out into the world are to be marked with a love that is servant-hearted and humble. Which for me would take an act of God. Which for all of us takes an act of God, and that's the point. Through what he does on the cross, we are washed clean of our sin, but daily, sometimes twice daily, we need to be forgiven. Peter doesn't get it, they, and as Jesus said it, you're not gonna get this till later, But it's an incredible moment, isn't it? And, and imagine it like this, and, and forgive this illustration, you've seen it before, but um, imagine my hand, I am my hand, and the Lord is up in the lights, and at some point, probably early on in my life, I committed a sin, maybe three weeks old, who knows. Uh, I was, I've been an achiever my whole life, so maybe that's what happened. In the moment of sin, a barrier has come between me and God. And yet Jesus comes, lives his life, never sins, lives a life of perfect humility, perfect grace, absolutely sinless and on the cross, which we're about to um, journey with him through these next few days. What does Jesus do? He takes upon himself what was on me and what was on you. So that now there's nothing between us and God. So that 
when Jesus lived, he had this perfect union with him and his Father, and so the full goodness of God could flow into his life and out from his life. And now that that barrier is gone between us, now we are free to receive from him in a way never before possible. So that the goodness of God could come into our life and move through our life to reach those around us. And so what we're about to do is really something that everyone is invited to do. You may have come with your family. You may have come on your own. You may have come with friends. And um, this foot washing is symbolic, not magic, but symbolic. But we know that when we do physical acts, they often lead to spiritual results. And as we're, we're going to invite you, and I'm going to lead the way to wash each other's feet. And you can come up as a family, and you can, you can come with a, up with a friend. You can, it's for everyone to take part. And you'll be invited to sit in one of these three chairs. And someone will take your shoes off. Why? Because it's holy ground. This is about you and the Lord and the people you've come with. Your feet will be washed. And the person washing them, the lesson is, may this shape my life, that my love, the love that I show the world, may it be marked with humility and service. And for the one sitting down, the goal is simply to receive. The water will be cold. Uh, we tried boiling water at the beginning of this evening and thought, you know, that's probably not right. Don't want to scald anyone. Um, um, and, but it will be cold, maybe. You only have to do one foot. You can do both. There's no um, rules here. But it's a sit to receive. And as the waters wash, wash over your feet, and as the person washing your feet pats your feet dry with the super absorbent tissue that we have, is to think about the fact that your sin has been wiped clean. That you have been made new in Christ by what Jesus has done. His story shaping our story. Or as we say here at St. Bart's, beholding Jesus that we might become like him. Now, disclaimer. When it comes to foot washing, all can, none must, some will. Or, as I say to some, all can, none must, some should. <laughs> but there's no, where, you, know, you may just want to watch and then take part. The youth are going to serve us. They're going to help with the basins of water, so please don't trip them by accident. Um, but it would be great to clean the carpet, just because it would be. He came to die that we might live. He came and showed us in a way that is perhaps culturally dislocated from our culture today, how to serve and love. But boy, does the church today 
ever need to be reminded what it means to be humble and servant-hearted. And boy, does our world today ever need the love of Jesus. So let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, here we are, your people, called by your name, seeking to meet with you. As we now enter into this time of washing each other's feet, would you by your spirit come and minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.